0: Actually, I had my dates all messed up, but, so the last, other than a funeral a couple weeks ago, this is the first time I've been in front of a crowd of people since like June the 12th. So I'm really out of rhythm, Uh, so much so that I've worked all weekend, uh, but this is also the first chance I've had to, uh, on behalf of our family, to thank you for your food, thoughts, cards, texts, whatever, however, prayers, uh, which honestly mean more than anything. And uh, we're grateful for it. And we are not the only people who've lost folks. Miss Dorothy is, uh, is dealing with her own loss and has dealt with a lot of loss in her life. She and I talked the other day. Uh, we've all dealt with loss. And uh, so we aren't pretending we're the only people who've ever lost somebody and we will not be the last people to lose somebody. Um, but what is evident is, and it's something it's kind of been a constant theme for the past few weeks, How do you deal with heartache without the Lord and without His church? It's it's just, it just changes everything. And it's, and you guys know it's gut wrenching hard with the Lord and with His church. And I can't imagine how hard it is to do it without it. So we're grateful to you. And uh, uh, this series for me, I got to kind of give you the backdrop on this series. So every October, I go away for like two and a half days, and sometimes three, and I plan the year. And the summer plan, when I came back from the little cabin I was in last October, was we were going to spend all summer in the fruit of the Spirit. That was the plan. And about two months ago, um, I just kind of had this nagging thing that we needed to do something different. And so I didn't know what to do. And I said, I don't, you know, it's kind of late to reinvent the wheel. And so I started looking back through things I had done. And about 10 years ago, I came across this series. It's not exactly the way it's going to be on the Psalms. And the Psalms are about answering the question, how do you talk to God? Whatever's going on in your life, how do you talk to God? And so for me personally, this series comes at a really good time. And I'll bet you I'm not the only person. I'll bet there's someone here who's dealing with something, struggling with something, trying to figure out this whole thing, and sometimes to be honest, wondering how do I talk to God and is it worth it to talk to God? I shared uh, at the service the other day that um, I'm not really proud to say this, but I, I, I need to be honest. Um, my f- initial response to God wasn't really good. It was, it was really bad. Uh, it was horrifically bad. And uh, I did a lot of blaming and fussing, and one minute I was so I was mad as fire. And the next minute I was so sorry that I was mad. And I, you know, and I was going. It was like a roller coaster for almost a day before I kind of got through that. But what I learned, what I know, what I what I experienced, and what I what you understand when you study the Psalms is how broad and strong God's shoulders are, how big as grace and His mercy is. So if you've ever been there, you're not the first person and you won't be the last person. David spent a whole lot of time bellyaching to God. Fussing about this, fussing about that. In one one moment, it's all great and good and the next minute, it's doom and gloom. That is the story of the Psalms is David, a man of God's own heart, cries out to God. If you've ever wondered how David got the, the stick that the, the name that he was a man after God's own heart, the Psalms reveal, reveal that to us. Because he wasn't perfect. He made a lot of horrific mistakes in his life. But the Psalms are an expression of this guy who loved the Lord so passionately and so deeply that he just wore his relationship with God on his shirt sleeves. So that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks, and uh, so i want to have a, a word of prayer, and then we'll just dive into this one, okay? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for, uh, thank you for my church family, I thank you for your son Jesus, we th- I thank you for just um, how you've done for so many people in so many ways, you just always show up at the right time in the right ways, you send the right people along the way, we've all experienced that, and we're grateful for it. And we're grateful for this guy who loved you so much that he moaned and groaned and whined and was joyful. And his life is just revealed in 150 chapters. His relationship with you, the depth of his love for you is revealed in 150 chapters. So I pray, Lord, that we can just get a glimpse of that over the next few weeks. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so. I want you to imagine... This is your story. You get a phone call in the middle of the night. Now, I know in my life when the phone rings after midnight, it's two things. It's a wrong number, which really irritates me, or it's bad news. My phone never rings after midnight unless it's bad news or it's someone calling. I have got a few drunk calls uh, from some folks who don't know they called me, and that always makes life interesting when you talk to them and go, hey, I got your phone call at 2 o'clock. I didn't call you, but you want to listen? So, um, you know, that always makes life a little interesting when those things happen. But so imagine there you are, you're awake and your phone rings, and the voice that you hear is a friend of yours. And he's a family friend, but he's more family than friend, and we all have people like that. They're family friends who are more like family than friends. I got family that's more like friend than family, and vice versa. It's just kind of how it works. All right? And so this person says to you, you need to get up and get out because your son is on his way and he's going to kill you and everyone in the house. You need to get out now. Now, I want you to just imagine for a second how you would process that and what you would do. And so this guy is, is you know, you're kind of in shock on the one hand and and on the other hand, he's not really surprised because his relationship with, this, with, this, uh, with his son has not been all that great for years. His son has done some horrible things. He runs with a bad crowd. Um, but he is also the heir to your company. And you love him. He's your son, despite his flaws, his mistakes. You love him. And so you gather your family Because you know they're all in jeopardy. And you can't go to another friend's house because you're going to put them in danger. So you get in the car or the cars, as the case may be, you load up and you drive. And you just drive and you drive and you drive. And you don't know where you're going. You just know it's not home and you just leave. And finally you come to a rest stop. And it's the first time you've really had a chance to to process what's going on. If if you even can, and so as you stop and you think, let me ask you a question: If you put yourself in that situation, and you know I need to do something, but I don't know what I need to do, let me ask you this question: Do you think, do you think that you could find satisfaction with God in that moment when your world is falling apart? Can you find any satisfaction with God if that were your story? That's not my story, and I can tell you that was tough for me for a little bit. And, and if that's been your story, you know what I'm talking about. But here's the good news. That story is, well, with, that, with a few modern twists added in, is an absolute true story. And it's David's story who was awakened in the middle of the night by a family friend to be told, uh, your son is on his way and Absalom's going to kill you and you need to get out. He has lost it. Absalom was in line to be king and he wanted to be king really badly and he surrounded himself with a horrible group of people and they convinced him that you, the throne, people will, will support you. You're, you're, you know, your dad has kind of fallen on the job, and yeah, he's a great king and all that, but, but man, we think the people rally you, and, and you, you just got to kill everybody. And that's what Absalom went to do, to kill everybody. And so as David gets to that rest stop, which for him was a desert, he found himself in another kind of desert. So David's in a physical desert, but he also found himself in a spiritual desert. And so the, the, the 63rd Psalm is the prayer of a man who's not like, man, I, I'm in the desert, but I'm in a desert. I'm in a spiritually dry place. And so his impulse, and so the 63rd Psalm is, was written as he's on the run from his son. And this is what David had to say in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God, I earnestly search for you, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Once again, let's understand, yeah, he's in a desert, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying I'm thirsty because my throat's dry. He's saying I'm thirsty because I'm in a dry place. And I don't know how I got here. And my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Because David finds himself in a spiritual desert. And maybe you have found yourself in a spiritual desert too. And one of the really cool things about Psalms is is there's one word that appears over and over and over again. And it's a word that we just gloss over, and we don't pay any attention to, but it's the word my. My soul thirst my body longs. my story is this and here's what you need to understand about this word it's really interesting that my changes the dynamics of the relationship and so when i tell you that the, the the 150 chapters as we call them and songs are really songs and prayers and all kinds of different things it is the cry of a guy of a who has a deeply personal relationship with jesus my changes the relationship dynamics of everything. It's why when it's my spouse, my brother, my son, my daughter, my grandbaby, that's different from somebody else's. Not that other people aren't important, but it, it's different. Because it, it, it my gives you some ownership, if, if, you, if you will, of the relationship, right? And so... It's a personal word. And so in this word, it reflects a personal relationship. So David, when he stopped to catch his breath, said, not, you know what? What are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Now, there's some psalms like that. I'm just going to tell you right now. David sometimes said, God, are you not paying attention? Do you not see what's going on? Why, I mean, have I not been faithful? And you know, sometimes when you ask God that question, you know, God, haven't I been pretty good? You know, God, if he wanted to, he could pull the list out of all the things that we've done. Well, you know, let's talk about this. Now, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about that. I don't want to talk about that either. But right now, I'm trying pretty hard. David's first impulse was to say, I need the Lord. It's his first impulse. He understood that he was in a different kind of desert, And he needed the Lord in a different kind of way. And David prayed, not from the shallow end of his soul, but from the deep end. So when he says, my soul thirst, it is coming from the depths. So I want to ask you a question. And I want you to consider this. And I want to ask you a question about your prayer life. And and what I'm going to tell you, whether, you know, and you can, we can all agree to disagree, but I'm telling you, this is biblically rock solid, absolutely true. The depth of your prayer life reflects the depth of your relationship with God. It's as simple as that. David is a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, but because the depth of his relationship with God and the depth of his relationship with God was reflected in the depth of his prayer life. So let me ask you a question about your, your prayer life. When you speak to God, when you cry out in desperation, when you feel like there's no hope, there's no chance, there's no shot, when you do you call out from the shallow end or are you praying from the deep end? There's a difference in praying from the shallow end and from the deep end. My meals my anyone's eaten lunch with me or breakfastly knows I have one rule about meal prayers. They're short, they're sweet, and to the point because it's time to eat. All right? And people who pray a long time only do it once. I remember being with friends of ours a few years back, and, and his dad, who who's, uh, became like a second dad to me in a lot of ways, was praying, and he prayed this long prayer. And when he was done, we both looked up, and he said, yeah, you're never praying for us ever again in a meal. He said, well, I say, that's way too long. God's good, let's eat. Amen. That's a shallow prayer. Right? But when you're hurting... When you're in pain, when you're in agony, when you feel like there's no hope, when you find yourself in a desert or underwater, man, those prayers have to come from the deep end. And this is what I'm saying: if you want to have a deep end relationship with God, you gotta to learn to pray prayers from the deep depths of your soul. You, you gotta find a way to do it, and it can't just be when you're in pain. You know, I said earlier, I don't know what people do. I want you to imagine someone who has no relationship with God and doesn't have church. How they deal with some things that we deal with. They may pray, but it's pretty shallow because there's no depth to it. Now, I love the beach. That's no secret. I just spent two weeks there. Now, there's my daughter every day would get in the water and say, Let's go, we're going to the sandbar. Been waiting on you. And we'd swim to the sandbar. My daughter's favorite place is the sandbar. In fact, I was telling someone this morning, we went to the sandbar every day except for the day that was really too rough to go, and the day my friend from three miles down the beach says, Heads up, 14 foot shark headed your way. I didn't go to the sandbar that day, but I did play in the water. So I do have problems. But anyway, and so, but my favorite place to be, my favorite place to be is not the sandbar, and it's not the shallow end. It's that trench between the sandbar and the shallow end, where it's just deep enough where you can't stand up. It's my favorite place to be, and I hang out there a lot. Not the smartest guy in the world, I'm just telling. You that's that's what I do. And so where we are, depending on the tide, at low tide it could be anywhere from six to seven feet there, and a high tide can be anywhere from ten to fourteen feet there. And here's how you know. If the sandbar is either up to here or it's down to here. I mean, that's kind of how you figure it out. But I like the deep end. I I like the deep end. I don't like the shallow end. I don't like hanging out in the shallow end. I I like being underwater. I like swimming underwater. Some people don't like that, and that's okay. But there's something about being in the deep water that's risky. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, jaws. But I'm just saying, but there's something about being in the deep water. that's kind of risky. And being in the shallow wind where you can put your feet on the ground, not much risk in that. Pray, if we're going to pray as if everything depends on God and we're going to cry out to God when we're in a desert, those prayers have to come from the deep depths of our soul. It's the only way it works. Because I'm telling you this, when you're hurting and you're in pain and, and y'all know what I'm talking about, when you pray from the shallow end, there's no satisfaction. There's none. But when you dig down deep and you pray down deep, man, that's where you find satisfaction in God. And when you're hurting, it hurts to dig down deep. It does. And so when you, when you have a deep relationship with God, as the 63rd Psalm is an example of, when you pray from the deep end of your soul, which the 63rd Psalm is an example of, man, it opens up the gate, and you learn all kinds of things about God. And one of the things you learn about God is that there's nowhere you can go that he's not there. The 139th Psalm, David says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. The reason David reached out to God and said, I'm thirsty for you because he understood God was with him. The reason he said, my soul hurts, my body hurts for you because he realized that God was with him. Sometimes we wonder where God is. But when you pray from the depths of your soul, when you have a relationship with God that comes from the depth of your soul, you always find out, you always remember, you always recall that God's right there with me. He didn't leave me. You may say, God, where are you? Oh, you know what, you're here. I know, it's terrible, but you're here. But the other thing that happens when you realize that God is with you is there's a whole other dynamic that takes place. And verse 2 says this, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. I have seen you. I have experienced you. I've been with you. Lord, I remember when I was a kid and dad sent me out to watch the sheep and that bear came you were with me when I killed the bear. I remember when I was out watching the sheep and the lion came, and you were with me when I killed the lion. And when that big, ugly, nine-foot-tall behemoth was screaming at the Israelites, you were with me when I killed him with a rock. When you elevated me as a general of the armies of Israel, you were with me. When my father-in-law tried to kill me, you were with me when I had to pretend to be crazy and live and, and live among my enemies and pretend to be you know, an enemy of Israel, you were with me. When I was in a cave, running for my life, you were with me. And when I really, really messed up, you were with me. I have seen and experienced your presence, your power, And so that's what happens when you learn to pray from the depths. It's not just God's with me, but you remember the things that God has done for you. So consider this. When you find yourself in a desert, reach deep, and remember what God has already done and how he's already moved in your life. That's that's the deal. That's That's what David's doing. He reached, because when you reach down deep, You're reminded of all the things God's done in your life. The things God's done in your friend's life, your family's life. In your church. How God got you through something you think you could ever get through, but you did. And then you go through something else. I don't know if I'm ever going to get through this, but you did. I can't imagine a worse loss until there is another one. David's life is a picture of God's grace and his mercy and his broad, strong shoulders. Because David was a whiner. And he was a moaner. And he was a complainer. And it was okay. Because he was moaning and groaning and complaining and whining and expressing joy and happiness from the depths of his soul because that's where his relationship with God originated. From the depths of his soul. And when you dig down deep and you pray from a depth, you learn some other things. Life with God is pretty good, even when things are not. This is what he says in verse 3 through 6 and down to verse 8. Your unfailing love. Now, this is a guy on the run. His son's trying to kill him. He's running for his life, and this is his response. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you. Through the night, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. Here's the question. How do we get there? Right? I mean, that's the question, right? How, how, do, how do we get there? How do we get to the place where in my deepest pain, in the moment that I think I can't go on, that this is as bad as it can be, how do you get to the place where you can be okay with who God is, despite what's going on? When you can rest in his presence, in his provision, even though what you're going through is really hard. So what I do, if you'll indulge me, is I learn my lessons from marathon runners. Now, I can't run anymore. My knees are spaghetti. But right after college, I was running like seven miles a day. I know some of you are thinking, dude, why? Uh, was someone chasing you? No, no one's ever chasing me. Uh, now if I'm running, y'all get the guys chasing me because I'm, because he's going to catch me soon, right? So I ran, and this was back in the day before, you know, you learn that running every day was bad for you. You're supposed to take days off. and So I was doing this five days a week, sometimes six. Most days seven miles, some days four miles. And so I was building up. I said, you know what? I want to run a marathon. And so I started studying marathon runners. And... Uh, I learned some really interesting things. First thing I learned was I've never run a marathon uh, because the training for it is um, intense and worse than the race. But here's the other thing I learned a marathon is 26.2 and a bunch of tenths of a mile in change, right? Some of you don't want to drive 26 miles, so I know running 26 miles is, is crazy, right? So here's the thing great marathon runners, this is what they do. They don't focus on where they're running to. They pick something and they run to that. And when they get there, they pick something and they run to that. And when they get there, they pick something and they run to there. And the reason they can do that is because they know the course. They lay the course out. I've just got to make it here. And when I make it here, okay, now i am here. Now I've just got to make it there. And they just divide this race up in pieces. It is kind of how you have to... If you're going to run seven miles, you you kind of have to do something like that, too. Because seven miles is a long time. So, I want to share with you my journey. Just for a few minutes. So, I haven't had anything of a normal life in, like, almost four weeks. Because I'd hurt my knee, and then all this happened, and all this other stuff happened. so, three weeks ago Friday, all I was trying to do was get through... Saturday morning. I said, Lord, get me Saturday morning. Just get me to Saturday morning and I'll wake up and we'll go from there. Because my mom was coming in and I had to start all over again. Just get, and so then when I got there, so, I right, said, get me to Saturday evening when my mom gets here and my daughter gets here. And then we'll go from there. And my son. And then, I had to preach funeral. But first you had to write a message. And I said, just get me through Tuesday because that was the day. I got four phone calls that day that all came at just the right time. I wasn't thinking about Wednesday. I was just thinking about Tuesday. Just get through Tuesday. I wasn't thinking about anything beyond that. Got to Tuesday. And when I woke up Wednesday morning, I realized how far underwater I was. And I said, all right, just get me through Wednesday evening. Just Wednesday evening. And that's all I focused on. And I've been doing that for the past two and a half weeks. Today was another checkpoint for me. Just get through Sunday. Now, I, I told a few folks Um, they showed a video and and some of you are at the service and you know they showed a video that I still haven't watched yet and that's my next checkpoint and I'm going to watch it this week because I'm going to be home alone and I figure that's as good a time as any that's what David did he just that's how you can just get me through this right now just get me through this okay now what now get me to there and then get me to there that's why God doesn't tell us how the story ends your life and my life is a series of checkpoints that we just have to get to and when the world falls apart you just have to get to the next checkpoint and here's how you know when you start moving on when you don't when you stop thinking about the next checkpoint that's when you'll know you're starting to heal. So if you're still going through something worth your check working through these, what I call checkpoints, keep doing it. That's what David did. He was just working through checkpoints. The 63rd Psalm is just him going, getting here and getting here and getting there and getting there. That's how you pray from the depths of your soul. That's how you love God from the depths of your soul because you don't focus on... Because at some point in time, your focus has to be on what he's going to do through you, with you, and for you. Not about what you do for him, but what he does for you. When we are in pain, our initial reaction is pretty selfish. And it should be. Self-preservation. But when you have a deep water relationship with God, at some point in time, it focuses back to him. Pain's still there. Hurt's still there. Problem's still there. But the focus goes to him. So if you're dealing with something, I'm glad you're here. And I hope you'll be here for the next few weeks because we're going to be talking about how do I talk to God when whatever. And sometimes it's good. And sometimes it's how do I talk to God when my life's great and the people around me are having a tough time. How do I talk to God when i got to deal with a problem? I mean, we're just talking about a lot of different things. So I'm glad you're here. So here's the last thing I want to say. If you find yourself in a desert and you want to get out, at some point in time, you have to turn your attention off of you and onto the Lord. Because that's the only way you're going to get out of the desert. Lord, we are... Um, Everybody in this room, everyone in our church family, everybody in our family, people in our community, we've all gone through really difficult things. We've all gone through stuff where we just said, I can't imagine anything worse until something worse comes. We could all tell stories of your provision. We could all tell stories of your grace. We could all tell stories of your mighty strong shoulders. But all those stories point back to you and who you are to us, because that's the key. So Lord, if, 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 if things when things are good, my prayer is that we will begin to find a way to have a deep water relationship with you. Because we're gonna need that when things are not so great. And when things are not so great, Give us the strength to go deeper. Thank you for putting people in our life. Thank you for Jesus. It is because of his sacrifice on the cross, we know there's hope beyond our pain, beyond our burdens, and beyond our loss. We ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to have a time of decision this morning.